Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food. Or weight. Never ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever ever. Hello everyone. This is Laura Lee from It's Not About Food podcast. And today we have a special guest, a comedian, extraordinaire, and an author. And I am so happy to introduce him. So I'm going to let him introduce himself. So we're on Zoom and I'm looking at him, but you guys don't get to see him, but he's really cute. So we're just going to talk about disordered eating and then how to get out of that cycle if you're caught into it, especially coming up for the winter and how do we get through the winter when it's dark and maybe some of us get depressed and a lot of times when we get depressed, we overeat and how to go through that, remembering intuitive eating and remembering how to take care of yourself emotionally and just how to get out of yourself so that you can enjoy your life after this uh horrible disorder that many of us have suffered from. This is Aiden, and I'm going to let him tell us all about himself and go for it. All right. Hi, I'm Aiden, <laughs> and I'm a comedian. I am an author, a uh, best-selling author now. of my Best-selling. Book, Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> of, of my book, The Art of Being Yay. It's all about being happy and um, how you can be happy. And of course, I learned how to be happy through many years of kind of difficult trauma, if you will. I have this bit in my act, uh, in my comedy. Actually, I present, you know, wellness workshops and speeches, and I do it in a funny way. So one of the things I say is, you know, hey, man, like I was an undocumented immigrant. I was brought here when I was nine. I had an eating disorder. I was brought up by my single grandma in government housing in San Francisco. I have HIV and uh, I'm a young widow, which means I'm like literally one domestic abuser away from being a lifetime TV movie. So <laughs> <laughs> so, and I watched a lot of those, okay, because I was very lonely in my teen years. And so I would just watch whatever happened to Brenda on Lifetime. Like I watched that. <laughs> <laughs> so what's Aiden doing today on Lifetime? Yeah. <laughs> right. Mother, may I sleep with danger? <laughs> Yeah. Well, you just like said all these things that you are. It's like the right wing nightmare. (laughs) Oh, my God. Isn't it the right way? It really is. Mm -hmm. It really is. Right. You know what's funny? I say that bit everywhere. I think the way you present it matters because I do this bit in like Fresno and uh, Montana and Iowa (laughs) and they are cool with it. When you have something that could be like, man, like presenting like, hey, this is how it is. And and really doesn't give any room for anybody to be like, meh, 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 you know. Right, 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 <gasps> right. And you're the individual standing in front of them being funny and not scary. And see, I just am another person just like you. I think that's the other thing. 
you yeah. know. Oh, but, I am the right wing nightmare. That's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> but also that this is how you are. I don't know. Thank goodness that you got here. Thank goodness that you're here and you got to San Francisco and you made it through your childhood and you made it through your teenhood and you made it through HIV. What a miracle that is. Cause I can remember being in San Francisco in the eighties and so many of my friends were dying just, and we didn't know why, why are all these beautiful men dying? What's going on with that? And it was a long time before we really got our heads wrapped around what was going on. So anyway, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you made it. And tell me a little bit about your, sort of like your wellness workshops that you do. Yeah. The way I got there was, you know, I was 19 years old when I got my HIV positive diagnosis and somebody suggested that I do empowerment. And so they put me into, you know, NLP, landmark, all that kind of stuff. And I, yeah, I became a master practitioner of NLP and I really studied. Yes. I'm a master practitioner. And so (laughs) I studied really hard and I figured out how to be functional in my life for the first time (laughs) and not just let things happen. And then at 33, my husband passed away. At which point I was like, I just want to die. I, I, I just want to die. I don't even, I don't care. There's no improving this life. I'm going to die. At which point it was like, all right, Aiden. I was in that state for a few months. I was suicidal. After a while, it was like, all right, live or die, dude. And so I said, okay, I'll live. And I was like, okay, well, if you're going to live or die, then I have to figure out how to be happy. I must figure out how to be happy in this life. I can't stay like this. It feels too terrible. So then I started studying, all right, like, how do I become happy? How do you quantify happiness? What does well-being, like, how do you quantify well-being? And so I started using a combination of neuro-linguistic programming techniques for the, the result of an emotional result, like for being happy by making it quantifiable. And so... That's what the book's about. And that's kind of what I talk about. Like, if you have a negative emotional experience, how do you look at it to figure out what your emotional needs are that's crying for so that you can meet those needs directly? It seems to me like that every, whether it's cancer or it's an eating disorder, or it's really deep grief from losing somebody who means everything to you. There has to be that point where you have to step on the path of life or just keep going down. That's like that, you know, when you come to a fork in the road, take it because you have to just decide, okay, I'm worth it or it's too much for me. Not this time around. Am I going to deal with it? And sounds like that's what you came to that. I'm going to go this way, see what happens. Suicide, it's not a good option, but it always is an option. So you decided to do something else. I have a weird position on suicide, like, and Takeshi, you can cut this if you want, but I feel that suicide, people in extreme amounts of pain, for them, suicide, because I've been there, suicide, I can understand it, and I can see why people do it, and I've had moments where if someone told me that was the life I was going to live for the rest of all entirety, am I going to just hold on for the sake of holding on? and live in that level of pain. When you're in extreme amounts of pain and you feel hopeless to do anything about it, I can see suicide as an option that's being that's viable. Well, that's what I mean about that point that people get to if they're for thousands of millions of reasons that they get to that point. But at some point you have to like, which one is worth it? Is it worth it to leave? 
is, or is it worth it to stay? And that's your decision. It's like our spirit is saying to us, which way do you want to go? I love you anyway. I'll go with you. But which way do you want to go? And uh, yeah, so I am so glad that you chose this way. <laughs> yeah, and here you yeah, are. Hey. Yay. <laughs> it, took a lot of, it took a lot of mental work. <laughs> it totally does. Yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> but so worth it. I'm very joyful. Yeah, I'm very joyful. Mm-hmm. So worth it. And then did you find joy in just being you at some point and just like accepting who you are and this is who I am and this is I'm going to be okay with me? You know, I'm not going to be another person. This is the person I'm going to be. Ups and yeah. downs, hard times, but good times. It sounds to me like you figured out a way to have like quote unquote negative emotions and get through them and take care of yourself. And that is a huge key. We don't learn that in this culture. The negative emotion, I think, is actually a part of you. It is an indicator. It's like the gas gauge on your car. The traditional view of negative emotion is, oh, you're feeling negative? Okay, we'll do something. Okay, we'll fix it. Exactly. No, actually, that's telling you an important piece of information, actually. Yes, we are a nation of, well, just buy something. Or oh. just, you know, get another lover. Yeah, bring about- a man over. I was just going to say that. <laughs> right. If you're a gay man on Grinder, man, it's just like a menu. <laughs> it is a menu, but it's all like that. It's all like that. Even if it before Grinder, Grinder came from something. People were doing that anyway. No. Used to be in the newspaper. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's that old enough to remember. Yeah, one nine hundred numbers on the newspapers. Yes. <laughs> yes, but now what's the deal? The deal is just listen to your own self, yeah. and then you can find a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and you're not just putting all your shit all over them and expecting them to fix you. And that's kind of what I was doing, like for all those years when I did the NLP. I was like, I learned how to be very effective, but I was like manipulating external conditions to give me my self-esteem or give me my well-being or even my boyfriend, even my partner. Like he was there, so he kind of stabilized me. He was there. He represented security because I come from a lot of trauma, like a lot of trauma. So that worked for as long as it was going to work. Yes. I say the same thing. I did it as long as I could. If I could have kept going, I would have, but I couldn't. I I got to a place where I can't keep doing this. I can't do it. So I wasn't strong enough to keep doing it. (laughs) (laughs) But it sounds to me the same way is that, you know, and again, that's with all of this stuff, no matter what it is. And so many people have been through such trauma that you think, wow, how did they not become a serial killer? <laughs> you know, because they were set up perfectly in order to be completely crazy. But you didn't. You had a big enough spirit, a big enough heart. I mean, you had a path to be here for, sounds to me like. I think uh, I had some narcissistic tendencies earlier. But I think that, that comes from like, you know, when people feel isolated and they feel the world is against them. I think that makes you feel like you're on an island and you must fend for yourself. So you start seeing other people as a way to which you need to get somewhere. I do think that narcissism could be something that's inborn in some people, but I think certain people with a lot of trauma develop that as a self-defense over time. Storygram Network. 
Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm... When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. I agree with you. I agree with you. And either you're the biggest victim of all time or the greatest person of all time. They're both extremes. Instead of, wait a minute, some of this stuff maybe I'm putting on myself is not even really true. Yeah. However, what you had to go through, a lot of young people don't have to go through and we have no idea what that's like. I mean, I look at these other countries that have a lot of fighting in the streets. How do those little kids get through that? It's a lot for a little kid to take. I think the biggest issue, if I may, is is isolation, actually. I think not that one's better than the other, okay, but like if a kid is born into a country where it's war-torn, and you have a family and then the entire country is going through it together. It is a shared pained experience, which doesn't mean that it's not painful. It's absolutely painful. Yeah, but there's support or a community about it. Though the thing that made my experience so painful was here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm alone. And if anybody knew that I was gay, then they would not love me. So I can't actually be accepted. I also had a weight issue moving from Korea. And so people were in Korea. I felt I was, you know, like, ah, a kid that spoke well, you know, good grades. I had a lot of friends. Nobody told me I was fat early. And I grew up with my mom and my neighbors. And I come here and I'm like dropped into this place where I have no support. I'm with my single grandma who doesn't speak English. Here I am just alone. And If somebody knew who I really was, then I would be isolated. So it puts you on an island. Yes, it does. For years and years and years and years and years. Which then I think that is why where my eating disorder started. Because if I could just be different, if I could just be someone else, then I might have a chance to be acceptable enough to connect with someone. This is so important. I love what you're saying right now about if I was okay. So like... I work with a lot of women that, or and men and teenagers who are like, if I just lost 20 pounds, if my face wasn't broken out, if my hair was longer, if my nails were perfect, you know, whatever it is, if my appearance was better, I would be accepted. Yeah. And it's such a false front because first of all, we know that if we don't love ourselves unconditionally, no matter what, whether we get old or sick or fat or thin or wrinkly or smooth, whatever, if we're not on our own side about all of that, it's not an easy road. So I still have to question my beliefs. Like we have all these unconscious yes. beliefs that we run on. And so we have to take a look at the program. Like I'm getting back to dating. This is interesting. This is what I'm currently doing. I'm getting back to dating. And I have this belief that I have to question. Like, I am afraid to go out on dates with men that I actually find attractive. Mm. So I'll go on dates with guys that I feel are maybe I'm not that attracted to, maybe because that feels safer for me. Exactly. There's no way that someone could look at me and find me attractive back that I find attractive. They will abuse me and leave me. And I'm like, Wow. (laughs) I didn't know I thought that. Yeah. I was operating on the system. Exactly. 
So you have to go through that fear of actually saying yes to somebody who you find attractive and believe them when they say, and I find you attractive. It's like, oh, I had, I need to lay down after that one. <laughs> you know, that one's so intense. That's the thing that's so crazy about this body dysmorphia thing. Like, look, I used to do modeling. I used to do like friggin' national commercials, diet products. I did a Diet Coke national commercial. And here I am, wow. right? Sitting around and I'm wearing a Coca-Cola. Ah, I see that. Not on purpose. Not, this is like pajamas. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, no one could ever find me attractive. How could anybody ever find this attractive? Like, yeah. What are you talking about? Like, what? right. That's like you're talking about. That's your programming yeah. that happened really young. It sounds to me. So it really gets in there deep. It's like, oh, you have to dig it out and go, wait, wait, wait. But to me, also, I would assume you come to this country. We're not a well country. Better than Korea. Probably, but Lots. not about. <laughs> um, but here you come as an Asian person and we're like, we wish you weren't Asian. We'd like you a lot better. But Korea, nobody Korea says 90s. that. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. Now, I don't know how it is, but Korea in the 90s, certainly. Sorry. Yeah, it's OK. It's all right. But what I'm saying is that I would think so you're a gay person and you're also Asian. So right there, you're not. Yep. We are suspicious of that, you know, or whatever. And have to fight to just have your right to be here and be who you are. That's very hard on us, our little psyches. It is. Oh, my God. I mean, and, you know, I think there was a lot of you shouldn't be who you are. Like, yeah. Like my grandmother, uh, my, my whole dad, <laughs> my dad had a whole other family on the other side of the country at the point when, in which he proposed to my mother. So... I was Harsh. cool, and my grandfather beat my grandma. I'm, I'm, I'm laying it all out, okay? So let me know if it's like, you know, too much. No, it's nothing I haven't heard before. Yeah, so my <laughs> grandmother and my mom, they raised me, and they had this idea like, oh, friggin' men are terrible, men suck, so here I am, a boy. Totally. Yeah, yes. and then you get molested when you're three years old, and then it's like, okay, well... And it's just like, who you are is wrong. So you're a gay man and you're Asian and you came from a different country and you live with a grandma. So all of that doesn't work <laughs> for America. Yeah, everything is just that you're set up for isolation. Right. And I'm clever, yes. so I can figure out ways to get my need met through external ways, even as a kid. But you take away all those tools and what do you do at age nine? What do you do? Exactly. What did you do? Deep depression. Yeah. Deep depression. I could not. I was like, I'm not good at anything. Nobody wants me around. Very isolating. Very depressed. Yeah. It was some of the most painful experiences of my life. It was just like, and I didn't have any agency. Nobody taught me any agency. We don't. We're just like, okay, go out there, go to school, handle it, whatever it is. <laughs> and you're like, how, what? You know, yeah. Good for you that you made it through and here you are and giving back to the world. Wahoo! Wahoo! Yes. Yeah. You did this great book and you do these talks and you're here on this podcast. Thank goodness you're here. I'm grateful. I'm happy. Like, yeah. Yeah. But like, my, my experience is not like, I mean, really, so many people have this experience. I think it's the isolation that is the worst. 
You can have the same level of pain from isolation, from having a secret in your heart, and you can go and have a ton of friends. But if any of them knew this deep, dark secret, then they would not love you anymore. And that is loneliness. So you'll go through your life lonely. And that is so painful. Yeah. And you can't tell anybody about that because they wouldn't understand. But the weird thing is, so many of us have that. And if you were brave enough to say that, but who can be brave enough at nine or 10? But if you were, you'd find like, yeah, I feel exactly like that. Oh my God. You know, that's what I think is really good about. I go into schools and talk about this issue with people, with students, ninth graders, and you can see these little light bulbs going off in their heads about, wow, I don't have to feel like this. You feel what you feel, but I don't have to go down that rabbit hole every time. That's what's great. Absolutely. Yeah. And so what's the name of your book? The Art of Being Yay. (laughs) Good. And you can get it on? You can get it on Amazon or visit my website, theartofbeingyay.com. And you can sign up for, you know, our newsletter. And our newsletter has like happy bits that we send you. We don't spam you. We send you like, you know, fun pieces of information that might be helpful to lift your spirits and and tactics and tools to apply. So Great. So that's a great present to give ourselves is to go on your website. Oh, our boss says... Be sure and mention your podcast. Oh, yes. And I have a podcast called Yay AF. And uh, it's precisely <laughs> this. Uh, yeah. It, it's, I find that people um, have a, like, the number one, the, the first thing to kind of address is the shame that we feel that prevents us from connecting with others authentically. If you're ashamed of something that you feel you can't share with other people, and then you try to connect with other people, that shame is going to keep you from being connected. It's going to keep you feeling lonely. So I have this podcast called Yay AF, where I literally talk about everything that happened in my life. And I put it all, I have no secrets. I'm a man of no secrets. Everything's out there (laughs) for good or bad. Yeah, of course. It helps me. It does, but it helps others too. If, If I hadn't heard somebody say, you know what? I throw up after every meal. And it was like, oh my God, so do I. And I was in such denial. If you had asked me before that person told me that, if I did that, I'd say, no, I don't do that. But somebody else saying that they did it gave me the courage or the strength to say, what can we do about it? I mean, I had, wow. (laughs) You know, I thought it was like, this is how narcissistic I was in my eating disorder. There were the Romans. And then a long time later, Laura Lee. Uh, (laughs) You know, like nobody else had thrown up ever. Nobody else had thought about that as a diet plan, which I, that was my diet plan. Anyway, so I thought that until somebody else opened their mouth and told me that that I could get well. And that's what you're doing too. Wow. Some little kid. you and, and purged. Oh yeah. I was really sick. It's a wonder I lived through my eating disorder. I've been just unrestricted, so yeah. I'm too scared of throwing up, but uh, like, oh, but the self-hatred. Yes. Like, I, would, I would just stare at myself in the mirror and I'd be like, you piece Right. Of How can you do this kind of thing? You, you disgust me. Yeah. And like, like oh. could never tell anyone. Ugh. Never. You know, never tell anyone the things I did. 
what can you do? I mean, that's part of the disorder is to be so shamed. And shame is the thing that'll kill us for sure. Yeah. Shame. Many thousands of years ago, there was a book called uh, Healing the Shame That Binds You. And that was a kick-ass book. You had to like write out all this stuff that you're ashamed about and then go to a movie (laughs) because it was too much. It was way too much. Anyway, so your podcast is? Yay AF. And you can hear it on on my website, theartofbeingyay.com. Great. And are you doing any workshops or anything like that coming up that you want to talk about? Yeah. Um, I will have some um, really exciting things I'm working on. I'm actually working with Claremont Colleges to see the effectiveness of, of the programs that I am developing oh, for uh, emotional wellness. Uh-huh. And um, I'm developing a few um, online courses that people can take based on that curriculum that I am uh, developing for the Claremont Colleges. So I feel really good about all these things that are happening. And you can, oh, again, you can see the art of being yay.com. If you go there, then it's you can see all, all of that stuff to get all of that. that Fabulous. Well, I wish you so much success in your life and you're just a wonderful person. Thank you, you too. You're like my, this is our new girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's true. Yeah, no, I love that. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy that you're on the show and please come back a different time. Yay. Thank you. Uh-huh. And I want to say that you have Coca-Cola on your shirt and look what Takachi has on his. You got a hamburger. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> uh, uh, Laura Lee, if you, if you had some fries on your shirt, we'd be a combo meal. I know. I only have <laughs> this little tiny tangerine. That's all I have. <laughs> That's the American, like, they're like, oh, here, have a hamburger and Coke. And look, we're healthy here. That's a have tangerine. a tangerine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. It was Thank great you. to meet you and great to have you on. Thank you so very much. So great to meet you. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. You look great. Oh, thank you. You too. <laughs> me too. All of us do. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about food.com. Thanks.